How did you discover that you had a green thumb? I could see it doing stuff with my grandmother. Just um, always being on her hip. What kind of gardening did she do? Everything from vegetables to flowers. So, so I'm not really into vegetables because I don't eat them. Really? <laughs> yeah, so. That's so surprising. Someone who like works in the earth and has a sense of where... I should eat everything that has to do with the earth? Yes. <laughs> no, I, I just, that's, that's kind of, surpri it surprises me. I feel often jobs that are sort of entrenched in, I don't know, closeness to the earth and working with the seasons and all of that, along with it often comes like a hippie-ish mentality of like nourish your body. With, I got that. Yeah. I've, I've been through that stage. Really? I've had the dreads and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Okay, do you need to move, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. That's awesome. So tell me about the hippie face. Uh, tell me about the dreads. I don't know. <laughs> when Dr was it? Drugs and rock and roll, I guess. Like high school, college? Right out of high school, I guess. In your senior year, into high school, or into college. Probably because uh, I had my first kid at 23, so uh -huh. pretty young, so that kind of uh, halted everything, made me change it up a little bit. I actually just cut my hair a couple weeks ago. It was long again. It was down to my shoulders. Really? Yeah. So I tried. I, I went through a pretty nasty divorce. So I tried to uh, try to get my old self back uh, by, I guess, growing my hair out. I had the real huge beard and the long hair and everything. So, but it didn't work out too well. I kept finding out that she was cheating on me. So. And now she's marrying the guy next month. <laughs> so that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Pretty bad. This is what he wants. It's one seven across. Two, four, six, seven. So that's right. You mind telling me your name? <laughs> yeah, sure. My name is Becky Harlan. Michael Kroger, recreational hockey player, lawyer. Chicago, Illinois. My name is Vernon Draper. Jamel Winston. I'm Jay Dev. Gina Cristina Simo. Christian Glasset. Wait, actually, my yeah. name is William Hebert. All right, who are you? Who am I? That's a damn good question. <laughs> I am a friend of yours. I am a computer scientist from France. I'm a human being. I'm also a gambler. I'm your mother. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just everything that's good. Mixed with a little bang. I'm Lizzie Peabody. This is Your Story Here, a podcast about humans and the common threads that bind us. I first started interviewing strangers after a couple of decades of being told not to talk to them. This show is about sharing some of the conversations that I've had. Now they're yours too. As a society, we place a high premium on appearances. And beyond just the standards of beauty we see reflected in pop culture that we try to emulate or aspire to, our physical appearance is the tiny sliver of us that greets the rest of the world, which otherwise has no idea who we are. So it makes sense that we care a lot about what that tiny sliver looks like. Some elements of our appearance we can control and others we can't, the idea that the version of us that other people see doesn't match who we are is a scary idea. Sometimes I'll walk by a mirror and just choose not to look in it because I don't have the energy to worry or wonder about whether 
I look like me today. But what's easy to forget is that appearances are not static. Relationships are invisible, but they leave visible marks on us, and our bodies are sometimes the canvas on which the drama of our lives can be played out. Today's episode is about appearances, the forces that act on them, and the people we entrust with them. Everyone you'll hear on today's episode I met for the first time when I recorded them. Person of interest. <laughs> I Thank don't you. know how to explain that. I just kind of was a gut feeling. I like I that. It's <laughs> um, cool. Thank you, you. Yeah, of course. Um, do you mind telling me your name? Erin. Um, and just who are you in a Who am I? Good question. Uh, I am a hair colorist, um, primarily. <laughs> and then, uh, I don't know, just a 26-year-old person in D.C. Um, yeah. I came here in college for an internship and fell in love with the city. So I just, I came back and I worked for a nonprofit uh, for a little bit um, as an AmeriCorps volunteer. That was actually like the worst job experience of all time. I, I ended up leaving. I left after seven months, but it was kind of a mess. Wow. <laughs> kind of a mess, yeah. In a pretty big um, nonprofit, so yeah. So, what made you decide to go to hair school? So, is that I, what it's called, hair school? Yeah, hair school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, PD school's a little outdated. Um, I've always wanted to do hair, and so before I went to college, I wanted to do hair, and my mom told me I had to go to college, and I sort of had this like life crisis in the middle of this job where I hated I was like waking up every day thinking like when was the last time I pretended to be sick it, like could I miss work now and it be you know what I mean and it was just so terrible um and so I was kind of like walking around town and just decided I needed to I needed to make moves so and have you ever looked back have you ever no not at all um it's really funny like my friends kind of joke around but say like I'm the poster child for following your dreams because it worked out for me so well um and I just like love my career so much so yeah what do you love about it what do you love about doing here so I love um interacting with my clients and I love like getting to know them personally and getting to know sort of the ins and outs of their life and then like the deeper things in their life and then I just love doing hair I yeah it's just just so fun for me it's so like I I just love it (laughs) it's so great you wake up every day excited to go to work yeah I do um like when I'm on vacation or something I I can't wait to get back to work which is I don't think a lot of people say that or totally understand that but Do people just sit down and just open up? I mean, everyone says, like, in hair school and stuff, yeah, you're you're really, like, a therapist or whatever. Um, And it's true. Some people just, like, unload and they tell you, you know, really a lot of stuff and and get deep and what do you think it is about being in the barber's chair that like I think there's like a vulnerability of like you're kind of trusting this other person I've noticed for sure that people are really sensitive about 
the way they look and and they're it's kind of they're kind of hard to trust at first and so when they feel comfortable with that then it's just like you know the floodgates kind of open up in a good way you're literally trusting someone with your hair and the way you look and then also with the details of your life yeah it's interesting I actually when I was an assistant had this conversation many times with people of like why when you're getting your hair shampooed is it so such a unique experience it's really you're really comfortable and you're, you're getting your head massaged and a lot of people related that back to like when they were kids and their mom's washing their hair or like they wash their mom's hair now or I don't know there's just like a vulnerability about it that's unique when you're doing something else adjusting the way people look I don't know I, I you could do a project for someone or like do something to their house or but when it's like the way they look it's it's a little bit different yeah um so I mean it it's true like when people are having affairs or when their husbands are having affairs or whatever they they tell their hair person about it um I've heard like one of the craziest people that I have um she is seeing a married guy who has a family and like you know she kind of has told me like the crazy things she does and I'm just like dude <laughs> whoa do you ever do the things that people tell you stick with you like when you leave this do you find yourself thinking about other people's stories as you that's can? like the common misconception with my job is that oh like you leave and you don't take anything home with you and it's not the case at all because you do you it, it's sort of like an energy exchange so which I've had to work really hard on sort of protecting my personal energy um and you, you you can let it like totally bring you down or lift you up or whatever and feel really good or really bad or like several days of this um and yeah I've definitely I've definitely brought things home where I'm just like fuck <laughs> like I don't I don't know I, I don't know like sometimes you kind of want to do things about it or there's nothing you can really do right. um sometimes you, like, you want to follow up and see how they're doing you can't really do that yeah. um yeah. I mean this is your hairdresser I'm like hey I was say. thinking of you <laughs> I mean, I have people where I'm like, maybe I should just get their email out of the computer system real quick and, like, shoot them a quick email or... I don't know. I've had I've had some clients where, like, I, I get a little bit worried if I haven't seen them or something and, you know, about their health or whatever the case may be. Um, so, yeah, but that's, like, a weird thing to do if you haven't exchanged information. So... <laughs> I found you. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, I was just on Facebook. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had a neighbor as a kid growing up who was a massage therapist. Yeah. And she used to come home just exhausted. Yeah. And talking about how she, when you are massaging people, you are absorbing the bad energy. Yeah. And, and it goes into your body. And she would have to yeah. go and, like, you know do something to kind of yeah. get rid of it. And it was really hard to protect herself yeah. from all. So how do you do I that? I totally agree with that 100%. At first, I didn't realize that was happening to me. And I would just come home and just be like, 
so tired and so exhausted. And I was working with um, a health coach last year, actually. We were talking about this, and she's like, you know, like if you're if you're with your friend and they tell you they're gonna throw up, you're not gonna say like, oh, here, throw up on my lap. Like, just go ahead and dump it on my lap. You'll like hold their hair and like rub their back and tell them to throw up you know somewhere else but not on you and it's the same thing with like the energy is like I'll hold a space for that you can you can kind of like dump it right here but you're not going to dump it on me and so I've had to like do a lot of a lot of like just being very thoughtful about it and making sure that I'm doing things when I'm not at work that are for me and helpful for me and maintaining you know my sanity and and not taking that (laughs) forever when you wanted to be a hairdresser like when you knew before going to college that this is what you wanted to do did you imagine that this would be part of like was this part of the appeal or was the social aspect just like a surprise benefit it was a surprise benefit um part of the appeal that I always remember was just like loving going to get my hair done which I don't actually like anymore which is funny but um (laughs) ironic um but just like loving someone else spending time on me and like feeling really great when I walked out and Mm -hmm. just it was like one of my favorite things to do yeah well thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank with you. me. Thank you. Of course. It's a huge privilege for thank me you. to be on the receipt. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> thank you. What do you. So what do you do with, with this? Okay. So what's your name? My name is Jasmine Scriber. And who are you? Um, I'm a 23-year-old Washingtonian. I have no kids of my own. I'm the youngest. Uh, I love fashion. That's how I, that's how I landed here. Um, I've been... I went to college for computers, which didn't work out at all. And then <laughs> what do you mean? I hated it. I landed a job um, where I literally sat at a desk all day long and did nothing at all. And I hated it. So I said, you know what? I quit that job and I came to Nordstrom. And I've been here for about two years now. I love it. Really? What do you <laughs> love about it? Um, The customers. And surprisingly, this is like therapy for a lot of people. A lot of people love shopping. They like to talk to people. They like to interact. Especially when they live around here, they don't like to be in the house. They like to be in here with us. So it's pretty cool to learn people's stories. Wow. Mm-hmm. People will just talk to you about yeah. what's going on mm-hmm. in their life? I know a few by name, like of the older ones, because they're the ones that let you know who they are. I figured that working in a department store would be tough and that you see so many different people, but it would be hard to like build. It is. I mean, it's hard because you get the ones that they're just in here to shop, then they leave. Like, there is no, you know, sitting down. But then you get the ones that really just want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. They want to talk. And they come in here just to talk. Sometimes they don't even buy anything. They just come to talk. So, yeah, that's when you build those relationships. And really? you, you get a lot of different stories. A lot of different stories. Like what? Um... Something about, like, their family or how they ended up here. They love to tell their stories about that, like, where they're from. And they'll say, you know, I don't want my husband to see how many, what I've bought, you know, so just ship it here and I'll come. And, like, you'll get those secrets. 
There's literally a woman that comes in here probably every week and will tell me about her daughter that lives in Georgia and then how I remind her of her daughter. And she'll talk to me and then she'll leave. And she knows me by name. I, I saw her this past Thursday, so I'll probably see her sometime this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I kind of look forward to it because mm-hmm. I know she's going to come. Yeah, I know. This is a question, feel free not to answer, but this is a question someone asked me, um, and it was really, it surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the last time you cried? Yesterday. Yesterday was the last time I cried. I lost my mother in October to cancer. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I lost her to cancer, and this was my our first Mother's Day without her, and it was her birthday. Mm-hmm. Yep, May 8th was her birthday. So the last time I cried was yesterday. My mother was a, um, my mother ended up becoming a teacher. My older sister is a principal and my middle sister um, is a social worker. Did your parents encourage you to go into IT? Yes. They didn't want me to do fashion. They didn't believe that fashion was stable at all. Which retail is a very fickle business, but, but I, I just, my heart wasn't in it. I would be that person that would go into the system room and kind of see what's not working and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. not about working with people at all. Mm-mm, no, 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 no interacting at all. Mm. You feel lonely after a while. No one really talking to you. No one talks to the IT people unless they need something. Mm-hmm. So you love fashion. Have yes. you always loved fashion? Yes. I've always, I was that dress up child. I used to dress in everybody's clothes and they have pictures of me and everybody's stuff all the way down to like my father's like suit and tie like like, like the shirt and the tie and stuff. I've always loved fashion. Mm. Have you changed your look much over the years? Yes. Have you made any drastic changes? Yes, yes, yes. I went through in college I kind of did the um, grunge I guess like Everything oversized, nothing fit. Um, my hair was short, like, and then from there it kind of got tailored a little bit. And I usually all wear black for the most part. I don't do a lot of colors. The older I get, um, I grew my hair out. So yeah. What provoked the change from like the grunge to now the more tailored look? A boy. Mm-hmm. He was just clean cut. Um, like a Justin Timberlake almost. Uh, I had a really big crush on him. And he did not pay attention to me at all. And so I thought that if I changed my look, he would pay attention to me. And I got his attention. He wasn't the guy I wanted, but ever since then, I just kind of fell in love with the look. You kept it? Yeah. So how did you figure out that he wasn't the guy for you? I found out he had a girlfriend. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well. I found out he had a girlfriend. <laughs> Are you, do you, are you dating anyone? No, I am single. I talk, often people talk about like the dating scene in D.C. and how mm-hmm. hard it is. It's horrible, especially around my age because you're, you're in that weird space where you're, you're too young. You don't want to settle down and, and get married and have kids. Like you're happily single, but you kind of want somebody to kind of build with almost. It's kind of hard, definitely hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the just casual thing. You can tell yourself you're cool with it, but at the end of the day... You're not cool with it. Not all of us, I should say. All of us aren't cool with it. Because it's, it's too many memories you make just to kind of lose them. You lose them. I've dated guys that 
I did not like it all, and they just loved me, and then vice versa. I fell for guys that just did not, they just didn't see it with me. You know, if it's for you, it's for you. And that person's not for you, you know. I just don't want to keep finding that they're not for me, you know? Like, I don't want to look up and be 28 with, with no one, you know? I'm 28 with no one. It's okay. <laughs> but you had an eight year. I haven't, I've never had a serious relationship. Never. My longest relationship was probably like six months. So we're different. We're in two different boats. Your boat is eight years span. This is someone that you probably really thought, you know, it was going to go somewhere. You never know. You know, you never know. But for me, I've never had a serious relationship. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how I am in a serious relationship. Right now, I just don't like to get attached. Yeah, because it sets you back. It really sets you back. And yet you you know, changed your appearance because Mm -hmm. you were attached to this guy you had a crush on. Mm -hmm. Do you regret that? No, I don't regret that. Because at any point, I could have went back to my old style. At some point, I said I like it, (laughs) so I kept it. And it stopped being because of him. It became because I liked it. (laughs) Well, thank you again for talking to me. It was really is of a horse and it kind of fades off into flying birds and uh, the idea came from a few years ago I bought my mom a painting of a horse that's kind of like you know pointillism how a painting is made up of a lot of little dots well this horse was made up of a lot of tiny like bird silhouettes and um, and so that's where the idea kind of came from and my brother my oldest brother contacted me like a month ago and said let's get a tattoo in honor of mom because she's so strong she's been through all of this and we may be losing her soon so let's um you know so he had this idea of okay let's do like a horse that floats off into birds and so then we went and we met with the tattoo artist and he you know indicated that he can totally do that and it's a great idea and here's how he thinks it would work and then we asked our other brother if he was in and of course he was. He's very agreeable to everything. So we thought, okay, let's go for it. And it was a surprise for mom. And so last weekend we got, all three of us went in. We spent like nine hours at the tattoo parlor. Together. And we did it together. It was like a sibling bonding thing. And all of our tattoos are like a little different. They're in different spots, but they're all, you know, symbolic of the of our mom. Um, my oldest brother's is on his... It, takes up his entire forearm Mm -hmm. and then um the middle brother he got his done on the opposite um on his right shoulder blade and then mine's on my left shoulder blade yeah so um i had one of my friends um, say to me uh the night after i got it done or something she was like but aren't you worried about like like a wedding dress or something like it's showing and i was like well i'm not dating anyone right now so, in the event I'm getting married, probably my mom won't be there. And so, like, no, I'm not worried about it showing. And so, it's like, no, I kind of actually, I, th- I think that would be a good thing. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like people have their ideas about why it's a bad idea or why it's in a bad spot or whatever. And it's like, okay, but, you know, just... I don't know. I just never thought I'd get a tattoo, and then I did, and now I'm, like, kind of... I don't know if it's, like, defensive of it, or it's just, like... I don't know. I don't know. 
Look, Lucy's making me cry. <laughs> Just kidding. That's it for this week, guys. If you'd like to take a day off from being judged based on how you look, you are welcome to come up to my attic and talk into a milk crate filled with old foam underneath a blanket. Nobody will see what you look like. It's what I've chosen to do, and it's pretty great, so think about it. If you'd like a more precise mental image of what this high-tech blanket fort looks like, you can find one on Twitter at Your Story Here DC. Your Story Here is produced and distributed by Goat Rodeo in Washington, D.C. You can find shows like this one and more at GoatRodeoDC.com and by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoatRodeoDC. I want to give special thanks this week to Shane, Aaron, Jasmine, and Courtney, as well as to all the folks who let me talk to them. Thanks also to my taller, talented younger brother, Tom Peabody, for the original music, and to all of you for listening. I'm Lizzie Peabody, and this is Your Story Here. Keep an ear out for us. Hey gang, Ian from Goat Rodeo. Thank you guys so much again for listening. Quick little plug. If you love this show, and we know you do, we know you're going to love Matthew Billy's Between the Liner Notes on the Goat Rodeo Network. To prove it, here's a quick little preview. Check it out. GoRodeoDC.com Hi, I'm Matthew Billy, and this is Between the Liner Notes, a podcast about music, why it is the way it is, and how it got to be that way. This show is produced and distributed by Goat Rodeo. So, just a heads up before we begin, there are a ton of ads in this episode. None of the companies represented in these ads paid us to include them, and neither Between the Liner Notes nor Goat Rodeo endorses any of these products. As I'm sure you're aware, Poopery is not the first company to use a song about the product to try to sell it. Traditionally, these songs have been called jingles. Merriam-Webster defines a jingle as a short song that is easy to remember and that is used to help sell a product on television or radio. But the term did not originally have anything to do with music. I wanted to find out the history of the word, so I contacted somebody experienced in this field of research, the host of the Illusionist podcast, Helen Zaltzman. Hey, Helen. Hello. All right, so uh, are you ready to break down for us the etymology of the word jingle? Yeah, it's fairly brief, but it went to a place that I thought was quite interesting. The first official appearance of jingle to mean a song in an ad came in 1930, but it had been in use for at least 20 years before that to mean catchy phrases in ads, so slogans and rhymes. I was looking at a 1914 instruction manual about using language in advertising and um, it mentions jingles then, but presumably that will be for print ads. This reflects the earlier sense of jingle, which was catchy phrases in writing, particularly poems, which I think would have been from the idea that the words had a similar sound in your brain to the similar effect to bells ringing. And the original jingle, which is from the 14th century, that was non-omatopoeia. They just thought the words sounded like things which jingle. Ah. Also in the 1700s, there was a slang term, jingle brains, which uh, meant a person who was kind of wild and a bit crazy. So I guess then that it wasn't until the invention of radio that 
the term jingle became associated with music. Yeah, I don't think it would have been. Obviously, there was jingling in music. People were using bells, but it does seem to be primarily written until when was the first radio jingle? To answer that question, I asked Timothy Taylor, the author of the book, The Sounds of Capitalism, Advertising Music and the Conquest of Culture. Well, in the earliest days, in the 20s, there wasn't any advertising. People thought that radio was a kind of a public service. The idea of advertising on the radio was seen as crass, you know, like a door-to-door salesman, and people just didn't want that. That changed fairly quickly, and especially after the Depression. But um, there were healthy and vigorous debates about how to fund radio broadcasting in the early days. We decided to have the advertising model, which we still have. But it wasn't advertising through lots of different companies like we have today. It used to be one single sponsor of a program. Even an hour-long program was paid for by a single sponsor. Therefore, they got the naming rights to those programs, and every ad... It would be solely for the products of the sponsor. But the standalone jingle, like we now think of it, really doesn't come into being until the mid-1920s, a jingle for Wheaties. It's weird to imagine Wheaties, the breakfast of champions, as being unpopular. But in 1926, no one was eating the cereal. The Washburn Crosby Company, the forebearer of General Mills, was ready to take the cereal off the shelves and retire the Wheaties brand. That is, until the secretary of the company brainstormed an idea. Washburn Crosby had just purchased a radio station in Minneapolis, and the secretary believed that the station could be leveraged to promote their struggling serial. So they hired a bunch of amateur musicians in a barbershop quartet. They took a 1919 jazz song and adapted the chorus to be sung in barbershop quartet style with Wheaties lyrics. Have you Listen to it today, it sounds incredibly lugubrious and sort of funereal. It doesn't sound like a, a catchy, upbeat jingle, but it actually was fairly popular, and that, that jingle was credited with saving Wheaties uh, in the mid 1920s.